welcome back to another episode of I'm Coming Out, the podcast where well-known people tell me, Johnny Harvey, their coming out stories. And today's guest is Andy West. Andy hit the headlines in 2015 when he resigned from his role as a BBC journalist in protest at the organisation's nomination of the openly homophobic and misogynistic boxer Tyson Fury for their Sports Personality of the Year awards. He subsequently became a contestant on the 17th series of Big Brother and finished fourth overall. He now appears regularly on our screens on shows such as This Morning, Jeremy Vine's show on Channel 5 and of course locking horns with Pierce Morgan on Good Morning Britain. He is also a highly acclaimed journalist. He's written for The Independent, The Gay Times and Grazia and is currently working on his debut novel. I went to his London flat and after Andy's lengthy washing machine delivery and my technical issues we finally settled down to chat about why Andy felt he had no option but to resign from the BBC the homophobia he experienced working in the media, his sheltered upbringing, Andy's desperate bids to fit in at school, the confusion he felt over his sexuality and the experience that made him realise he was gay and that he had to come out and why he still isn't proud to be a gay man. Andy is an incredibly principled individual and I think he secretly likes to be a bit controversial so I'm really glad I got the chance to interview him and have him on the podcast. Please leave a rating or review on iTunes as it really helps me and helps other people to discover the podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening and here it is. So Andy, I'll start with what you are arguably best known for. You left your job with the the Beeb in early 2016 because of your opposition to Tyson Fury's nomination for Sports Person of the Year Award. So as most of us already know, Tyson, he's got quite the reputation for being very homophobic and misogynistic. So uh, how do you feel about that whole situation today and how the BBC handled it? well, um, not to not to split hairs, but it was the Sports Personality of the Year award, and I think it's always really important to understand what what the objection was at the time, not just on my part, but on the part of many, many tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people who were signing petitions, and it was in the national press, it was on the front pages, it was a big deal, uh, partly because the newspapers love bashing the BBC, but that's a side story. The, the point was, it, it wasn't an award saying, this guy's a great sports person. Because, you know, a sports person can be a bigot. You don't, you know, bigotry doesn't make you a slower runner. So that, that's fine. It was about saying he was a, a sports personality of the year. And those awards uh, with the BBC have always been about um, a certain degree of heroism and saying this person is someone that kids and we should all look up to. It's putting someone on the pedestal, you know. Not just for how good they are at punching people or, or running away from things. So uh, that was my that was my issue with it. As a guy who was uh, one of the first, if not the first, openly gay newsreaders on TV in a part of the United Kingdom that is so endemically homophobic, um, I, I just I thought, how can I how can I not say something about this? Not to everyone, but just to the people I know and to the people who watch me reading the news. So even though you weren't involved in the situation directly, obviously, did you feel in some way complicit because you are part of the organisation, you also represent its values? 
Well, the, the awards were being uh, hosted in Belfast that year, so it was particularly relevant, you know, to that part of the world. And there was this, you know, huge focus on Northern Ireland. And it was really bad timing for the BBC. And the BBC clearly was very uncomfortable about the situation in which they'd found themselves. They had not nominated him directly. It was done by a kind of third party group of judges. But the BBC had influence over the over the judging. I think if one of the people nominated had said something that was wildly anti-Semitic or really horribly racist, for instance, or had done a Glenn Hoddle and said that disabled people were being punished, I do think they would have they would have taken back the nomination. But this double standard with it's slightly okay to be homophobic, not just in the BBC, I think, but in in so Still, many places, yeah. it's kind of slightly okay because gays are all a bit moany, aren't they? seems to be the attitude that I've come across in my career in the media so many, many times. Oh, it's just the gays moaning again. I didn't feel that way when I'd been working for four years in a part of the United Kingdom where uh, homophobia was a really big issue, where it was rife in the political sphere, where I was seeing it at work and when I was seeing it when I was out reporting on stories, when I was seeing people spraying KKK and burning down gay people's houses saying, get out of our community, you're dirty. And then to have someone who shares those views being put on a pedestal. Um, for me, I found very uncomfortable. Yes, slightly on a personal level, but I'd, I'd seen a lot of homophobia and I'd, I guess I'd bitten my tongue a few times as a producer and a journalist. But it, it felt bigger than that because I haven't really talked about this before, but I, I would very regularly, if not on a daily basis, then certainly three or four times a week, get messages from people in rural parts and, and also cities and towns in Northern Ireland saying, from, old, from elderly people, not yeah. just young people, it means something to me that when I switch on the news, you're openly gay. And I yeah. see on Facebook that you're out with your boyfriend in a gay club because I've never been able to be openly gay because I'm scared because I will lose my family, my friends, my farm, you know, my business, whatever it might be. That's still there. A lot of people seem to think because so much progress is made, that doesn't exist anymore. But there's still plenty of examples of people who are living like that. But so did you feel as working as a part of a major broadcaster, did you find that restrictive? Because that's something I always find strange looking at a lot of individuals and TV presenters. It's as if they're not allowed to have any sort of a, any sort of a opinion on anything. They have to be very objective. They have to be stay right in the middle. They do on certain things, they don't on other things. I think quite rightly a, uh, a black uh, presenter would be able to speak publicly about there not being enough uh, black presenters uh, at the BBC. And they, I think, should be supported in doing that. And I think they would be. I think we saw with women talking about gender inequality when it came to pay at the BBC, uh, female presenters, very high profile female presenters, were getting an awful lot of bad press for the BBC by talking to journalists about their pay, which is fundamentally breaking their contracts. And they were pretty much allowed to do that. I struggle to see the difference, and of course it's relevant at the moment. I do think it's very important to be objective as a journalist, and arguably the Tyson Fury situation was a, a big news story at the time. So me giving my opinion on it you know, broke that code of objectivity. But I think as a journalist, sometimes you come up against these situations where you're faced with something that is so visceral and integral to your own DNA as a human being that actually 
your responsibility as a journalist to be true to your principles and tell the truth is more important than your responsibility to pretend you're a robot with no opinions. Because who fucking believes that anyway? Who fucking watches the news and thinks Hugh Edwards doesn't have opinions? And in fact, in the days of, you know, now Piers Morgan and Jeremy Vine and, and um, uh, presenters who are, I see Jeremy Vine isn't as opinionated as Piers Morgan, but presenters who are a little bit more open about what they think about things that affect them. I just, I feel like that's a rule for some issues like women's pay and racial equality. It doesn't seem to be a rule for uh, LGBT issues. But did you experience a lot of homophobia yourself whilst you were working in the media? I, I was, when I was editor of Wyvern FM, which was then GCAP, now Global, uh, I used to read bulletins and the station manager would think it was funny doing a, a kind of John Inman, very campy dance. Oh, I remember him. Past the window. You know, the I'm free. Really? Yeah. How long ago was that? Oh, that was, uh, that was maybe eight or nine years ago, ten years ago, perhaps. Not long ago at all. Not long ago. And it wasn't, do you know what? He was like a, uh, he was a, a sporty bloke type. And he respected me as a journalist. And he liked me. And I don't think it held, held me back in my career. But he was just one of those guys who had that men behaving badly way about him. So actually, that was homophobia, but it didn't, it actually didn't bother me because I think there are so many more important things to be offended by than just, you know, people who are just a bit dense. But then the darker type of homophobia is when I was working at a, a network uh, newsroom uh, for a much bigger company. And there were people who were working there who were um, hiding the fact they were gay from the editor because it was an unspoken understanding that he was a homophobic person and I I suppose as a sign of what was to come <laughs> didn't hide it at all I would say in morning meetings well my boyfriend thinks this and I went here with my you know and I and issues would come up about LGBT stuff and I give my opinion and I was uh, I was not promoted and I was not respected and I was not trusted and I was not supported and it was a pretty miserable year there and I ended up having to leave. That's Possibly. shocking that exists in the media though, isn't it? I always think of the media as being really relaxed and really liberal, even within news circles. Yeah, is it shocking? I don't know. I, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. There's, I mean, there's been a very kind of machismo, macho um, thing in the media for a long time. And I think particularly men of a certain age, but also women of a certain age in the media are how would I put it, very impatient, increasingly privately so, because they have to be, but I think the word is impatient with LGBT stories. Why is that? Because they think they're boring and they're not interested and they think it's just gay guys bitching and moaning. I've had editors say, it's, do you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things because who'd be stupid enough really to come out and say something like that? But it's a kind of, in a meeting, when you say, well, uh, what about this uh, story um, about, like before the gay marriage thing really was a political possibility, of course there was a great push for it and there were people talking about it and talking against it and it was an interesting debate. But, you know, these, these stories would come up and they would be in the papers and then you'd sit there in a morning meeting, um, what, whatever network it might be, whatever company it might be, and you would, you would say, let's do this. 
and there'd be a slight kind of eye roll and that's just it's just that old thing so taking you uh, right back now to the very beginning so can you tell me a bit about your background and where you grew up uh, yes I think I had the uh, the unfortunate start of having just one of the truly most bland uh, upbringings that you can possibly imagine I think I wish I had I wish I had some true adversity that's a good complaint to have yes it is and I, I'm very lucky I had a, I had a roof over my head I was fed I wasn't bought lovely clothes but I wasn't bought secondhand clothes I uh, we didn't go on posh holidays but we went on caravan holidays that were perfectly nice my parents were teachers I lived in a semi-detached house in a very suburban area just outside Milton Keynes and I went to comprehensive primary school and secondary school and it was all it was all very safe I love you know I, I, I loved my parents they split when I was 16 that was the first sense of any kind of drama I suppose in my life but other than that it was all very stable but I slightly envy people who have either very privileged upbringings I would have loved to have been a rich kid going to private school no. or very terrible upbringings that, that kind of that forged them into a, a, a diamond ready to be polished. I was like, I was like kind of a half-filled water balloon going, here I am. But it doesn't always work that way, does it? Most rich kids go off the rails and they have nothing to prove. No, they don't. Most Loads rich kids do. get filthy rich and marry other rich kids and talk about how hard life is and oh my God, I can only afford three ponies. And then they love talking. If you, if you, I live in a part of London where if you go out to a bar, there are so many rich kids pretending they're not rich, but loving the fact everyone knows they're rich. But most rich... Not that I'm bitter. But... <laughs> Never think that. Um, but a lot of rich kids, though, they don't... They're just very... They have a very narrow view of life. They're not, it's not very... They do. Isn't that wonderful? They don't know hardship, nor will they ever. Had I stayed at the BBC and not... Can I clarify that a little bit, actually? What happened Yeah, go there? ahead, yeah. I think the thing I didn't get to that's really important for people to understand about what happened to me at the BBC is I didn't I didn't do it because I was thinking of myself as the Gandhi of gay people. I wasn't doing it because I wanted to make some big hoo-ha about it. I've I I've had people say, Oh well, you you know, you just wanted the attention, you did it for attention. I mean, trust me, I I I just put something on my own personal Facebook page. I didn't go to the papers. I forgot that half of my friends on my Facebook page were journalists. So that was the stupid thing I did. Um, and then when the ball started rolling and I was suspended, I then got to a point, that's when I made a decision. Do I stand by my principles? Do I stand by what I've said? Or do I do what I'm being encouraged to do, which is take a slap and say I'm sorry and shut up and wait for people to forget? And um, from the BBC's point of view, completely understand why they did it. If I was head of HR at the BBC, I'd do the same thing. Really? Yeah, but I'd broken my contract. And I'd brought a load Those of... Those exceptional circumstances. I brought a load of shit to the BBC's door. I gave them more trouble. So yeah, I just decided to... So I made the decision to stand by my principles and I've never regretted it. But going back to what we were saying before, the only element of it I do slightly regret, I guess, is that I was in... I was on a good career trajectory at that point that was quite a straight line. You know, when you're a reporter at the BBC, I, I would have then gone to network and then maybe I'd have got shifts doing BBC Breakfast or something, or I'd have been one of the guys okay. in the scarves outside Parliament. Or 
it was quite clear. Whereas as soon as I stepped outside of that, it then became, you know, um, much less direct and predictable. So can you remember when you first became aware of what it even meant to be gay? Did you have one definitive moment? I, uh, I remember getting changed for PE when I was about five or six and the girls went into one bit of the class and the boys had to go into the other bit of the class. I remember um, looking at the uh, other boys and I suppose just being at the same time very interested and curious and at the same time really uncomfortable and, and really out of place and wanting to just hide. I, I, I had no idea why that was. Uh, I wasn't precocious at all. I, I really, I had no sexual uh, interactions with anyone on any level until I was about 18, 19 at university. There's a video of me at school um, when I was uh, 12 years old and I was proper like Kenneth Williams camp. And I watched that, but I hadn't watched it for years. I watched it back and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, wow, you were really in that really natural state when you weren't aware of how you were behaving and no one had told you anything was wrong with it, you were really camp. So what happened between then and now? I mean, I can be camp now, but I'm not. Well, what was that video of Massively. when you were at school? Was that a school play? I was running across the field and then I was, um, we were collecting ants, I think, off a tree in Petri dishes to draw, you know, count how many there were, whatever it was. And it was being filmed as a keepsake for the kids in the last year of primary school. And... I felt really sorry for this little boy because I almost felt like I had shut him away somewhere. I thought, that's not how you behave now. Why? It's not testosterone. Is it learnt behaviour? Did I teach myself as a teenager to stop moving like that, to stop talking like that, to stop making those facial expressions? Where did that little boy go? Because he should have grown into a proud, camp, gorgeous, beautiful man. And he didn't. He grew into possibly a slightly fake approximation of a straight guy. <laughs> yeah. It's like un unconscious conditioning, isn't it? Yeah, I, between primary school and secondary school, I was, I was bullied in primary school, but not kicked, I was ignored, which I found profoundly painful. And I think I'm sure is part of the reason why I get, why I get myself into debates publicly now, perhaps, is because I was ignored throughout my childhood. And so when people don't listen to my opinion, I get quite... Argh! I kind of guessed that when I was doing your research. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, where does this um, outspokenness come from? Where does it come from? Well, I, it, genuinely, I, was, I remember sitting at, at school um, or, uh, during class times just asking the, the boys next to me what they did at the weekend or, you know, um, pretending I couldn't spell something and asking them whether they could help or just something so that one of them would talk to me. And they literally would just not, they would blank me completely. And was it homophobic bullying when you were in primary school? No, I just think I was a nit. I suppose saw myself as being much more akin to the girls, but was scared of them and uh, they weren't much more keen on me. I think I was picked on at school partly because I was, I just didn't fit in and actually probably didn't make enough effort to fit in. But between primary school and secondary school, I decided, right, okay, I now know why the popular kids are popular and I know why I was unpopular. And I'm, I'm not joking, I wrote, this is going to make me sound like a sociopath, um, but I wrote down, I drew a, I remember I drew a line down the middle of a piece of A4 paper, and I wrote on one side the reasons why I was unpopular, and on the other side the reasons why other kids were popular. And in the six or seven weeks summer holiday, I made sure that I planned and prepared to tick the right boxes, and not to tick the wrong ones. 
So I made sure I got detention in the first week. I made sure I swore. I made sure I didn't have a cardboard collar on my shirt. So that's quite a thorough reinvention, isn't it? Yeah, it's weird. And I have to say, um, to my eternal credit, uh, I massively fucked it up quite quickly. I couldn't maintain it. Which was interesting about, you know, when I went into the Big Brother house, people say, oh, well, you know, um, do you behave as yourself there? Are you being yourself? Are you being, are you being a kind of a, a stage-managed version of yourself? You can't not be yourself for a long period of time. The sad thing about it was it, taught, it worked. I actually became one of the most popular kids in my class. And then, as I became more myself, I sank down into the in-betweeners ranks where I probably probably belonged, I suppose. It's like a mini class system. It's like we're talking about that again, isn't it? It is, yeah. And so did you have, when did you realise then that you were definitely gay? It's a really hard question to ask. Uh, probably at university, I think. Oh, it was much later on then. Oh, I realised I was, I realised I was, I realised I wanted to have sex with guys uh, very early on. I think when I started going through puberty, and you start doing things that boys do when you start going through puberty. Actually, at first, it wasn't um, it wasn't boys that I was thinking about, because I don't think I'd realised that was even an option somehow. Some so at some point, I think I remember. I do remember watching Queer as Folk, which is such a seminal moment for so many gay yeah, guys. Twenty years ago this year. I can't believe it. And Charlie Hunnam is just so gorgeous now but yeah. was just absolute I mean him and Zach from Saved by the Bell just between them I think they were part of my awakening for me realising that I was gay and coming to terms with being gay was the moment I stopped thinking it was something wrong with me and started thinking it was something fun to explore and 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 enjoy so there was quite a long period of confusion there was there oh yeah did you have girlfriends in secondary school uh, I tried I tried to have girlfriends in secondary school, but I was so petrified of not being able to get an erection or not being able to have sex. I thought that if you, if you were normal, you would look at someone you fancied and it would go doing, and I thought there was something wrong with me that it didn't happen like that. And it wasn't until university, when I was 18 or 19, that I spoke to a very close friend of mine because I thought there was something wrong with me, uh, that he said, no, 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 you don't have to have an erection before you take your clothes off. You can get one while things are happening. I, uh, I didn't know that. I was an 18-year-old, 19-year-old man walking around thinking that I was broken because as soon as I looked at, you know, let's say if I fancied you, Johnny, and obviously you're a gorgeous man, oh, and thanks. I do. <laughs> No, I, genu I, I genuinely thought, Johnny, that I would look at you as an attractive man and I should instantly have an erection. And Where did you get that idea from? I don't know. I think I got it from other boys talking crap. I think I got it from other boys talking crap. Bravado. Oh, I, I you know, I, yeah, showing off their erections in their trousers because they just looked at Miss and she's got big tits and all this kind of, kind of straight boy crap that they talk. And I believe, I was stupid enough to believe it and it completely ruined all sexual confidence I had at, at university. It took me oh, it took me quite a few attempts before I was able to enjoy any kind of sexual experience with someone because I was just petrified. I had I had been on a date with a girl like three or four nights before. This was in university. This was at university. Yeah. And I'd been on a date with a girl and I'd gone back to her flat having a basically a panic attack 
because I knew she wanted me to have sex with her. And she invited me back for coffee. And the first sign she had that she really wasn't with the right kind of guy was that I actually wanted coffee, just to delay it. We ended up going to her bedroom and um, I, I, honestly, I could have, I just almost passed out. I was so scared. I can't, I can't quite put it into words how frightened I was. There were times in my life I've stood with pellets and bricks flying past my head in riots. I've, 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 I've pulled a massive whitey on very strong cannabis in the middle of a jungle thinking I'm going to die. But it was so scary. We ended up watching Roald Dahl's The Witches on VHS. So basically I was absolutely petrified. Um, I ended up pretending I had football practice at four o'clock in the morning, told my mum I was gay. And then I went on a so date. So that you, you told your mum the next day? I, I walked home from that girl's flat so ashamed and embarrassed that this, this poor girl had had to lie next to me this pathetic prick next next to her. Really hard on yourself. No, I, well, I was at the time, and, and I look back and I think, oh, I just want to slap me, because why was I putting myself in that situation? I was putting myself in that situation because I thought at the time that if I could have sex with a girl, then I wouldn't have to be gay. But it's normal to have that period of experimentation, isn't it? A lot of gay guys I know had girlfriends during university as well. Sure, yeah, I was, I, I'm quite envious of that. I mean, the first time I had sex with a woman was two years ago. Oh yes, right? I read about it. Yeah, and it was great. As soon mm-hmm. as you take fear out of a situation, you're suddenly better at it. It was the same with when I was reading the news, when you're, I'm sure if you're a sports person. I'm really not. <laughs> <laughs> fear is the enemy of success, and it's the same with sex. And so how did it go the next day coming out to your mother? Well, yeah, I walked, I walked home in tears and I thought, I cannot live like this. And actually, credit to my 19-year-old self, even though I took a while to get there, I am the kind of person, when I realise something, there's no debate, there's no waiting, I just do it. There's no fucking about. What's the point? Why waste time? So I thought, okay, that's it. You've, you, that was your best shot ever at trying to have sex with a girl. Clearly never going to happen. So you are now just, you are gay. And I went home and I said, I looked myself in the, the mirror um, above above the sink at the end of my bed in this tiny little room in halls and I just said for the first time ever out loud I'd said it in my head as abuse but for the first time ever out loud I said you're gay and it suddenly didn't sound so bad anymore the phone rang and it was my mum now that's not a massive coincidence right because I don't believe in coincidences either but I don't believe in it's meant to be it's meant to happen you know fate she, she would call me like all the time. So it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal that she called me. But anyway, she did at the perfect moment. And I got like halfway through the sentence of telling her that I was gay and I couldn't finish the sentence, not because I didn't want to, but because I was crying too much. I'm quite a sobber. I cry very easily. That's good, get out your feelings. Yes, I guess so. But you know, if you're standing in a Primark sobbing, it's all a bit embarrassing. But um, I, uh, I, I, she thought I was gonna tell her that I had um, cancer or something. So your mother had no clue? She had no clue, bless her. And when I told her, she was just very relieved. And um, she drove to Preston from Milton Keynes the next morning um, to give me a hug and tell me that she loved me. And it was very, um, yeah, I get kind of emotional talking about it now. It was a very a special moment to share with my mum. And I knew from boyfriends in Preston um, uh, that it wasn't that easy. So, so you had a positive coming out experience to your family then? Yeah, I realised how lucky I was. And my dad was very accepting of it too. Everyone was, everyone was 
accepting of it. I remember, you know, my my two closest friends at uni were two big kind of two big sporty lads, Ian and Phil, who I'm st still um, very very close with. Uh, went up to them to say, I've got something to tell you, and I'm a bit nervous about it. And they both said, You're not going to tell us you're a fucking gay, are you? Because I was the one who was always going on dates with girls. I mean, they thought I was having a really busy sex life. They didn't know that I wasn't actually able to consummate any of these relationships. They thought I was quite busy. So they're like, oh, God, you're going to tell us you're gay. It's a uh, very good blokey accent. Yeah, so I've been working on it for years. Well, that's, as I said, all through my teenage years, I perfected it. And then I said, yes, I am telling you I'm gay. And how did they respond then? They just gave me a hug, bought me a pint, and thought it was hilarious. And, and that's, that's, largely been my, um, that's largely been my experience. I don't think I've... And so now over Ever the... had anyone be react badly when I've told them I'm gay? Maybe some low-level homophobia, as I've said, here and there at work, but never confirmed. So I've been very lucky, very lucky. So, so overall, quite a happy coming-out story. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, uh, the difficult part was me being anti Andy the gay guy not other people and I think that's so often the case it's very easy to say oh you know um, homophobic parents are terrible or homophobic cultures are terrible but actually very often the worst and most aggressive homophobes are uh, queer people and, and you see that played out a lot uh, in social media and reactions to some of the articles I've written and you know this debate around what what is gay and what isn't gay and how are gay people supposed to behave and what are gay people allowed to call each other now is obviously a thing I mean I'm using the word gay and there'll be people who say I should be talking about they'd say well actually Andy you're probably queer or you're bi or you're, it's very confusing and I think that confusion partly comes from this this lived experience where you've grown up from an early age trying to work out who the fuck you are and whether you even like it it's just it's from growing up in such a homophobic society it's it's really hard not to internalize some of that yourself yeah i mean i look back and i think how homophobic was the society that i grew up in i suppose it was did you not hear loads of gay slurs in school yes i guess i did i guess i did yeah i mean i was head boy at um, oosdale school that i went to and they called me give head boy so they obviously knew something i didn't know but that was not that was not a compliment uh, no, so so yes, I suppose I grew up. I suppose I did grow up surrounded by homophobia in a way, but but I didn't grow up with a family who were telling me that it was wrong to be gay. I didn't grow up in a world where uh, gay people were openly abused. It was it was a kind of a low level thing, but it does poison. It does poison the way you see yourself. I suppose I put it this way: the very fact that I thought there was something wrong, you know, that 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 tells you that actually there wasn't something wrong with me but there was something wrong with the world in which I've grown up and what advice would you have now for your younger self who is struggling with your sexuality or for anyone out there who is trying to come to terms with it uh, I think actually people overcomplicate sexuality and I think one of the dangers now is that people are really overcomplicating it adding so many words so much terminology uh, to try and describe something it is really who do you want to have sex with it's not actually complicated nor is it the most interesting thing about you so I think I'd say to myself do you know get over it a, a little bit just you're a guy you like penises that's kind of it I, I, I had a guy talking to me he was a young lad and he was saying 
I don't know whether I'm gay or whether I'm queer or whether I'm bi or whether I'm pan and all these different things and I just said to him well if you're walking down the street or you're on an underground tube carriage are you checking out the boys or the girls he said oh the boys I'm like well you're gay then and he's like, well, yeah, but, 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 I said, no, 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 you're just gay. I mean, and who gives a fuck? Who cares? Who cares how many letters are behind your name? It doesn't matter. You, this, this self-indulgence, I think, is dangerous because actually other people don't really care what extraordinarily uh, kaleidoscopic definition you give your sexuality. They don't care. So don't let yourself care too much. Call yourself whatever you want, but just get on with your life. If you want to have sex with someone as long as they're an adult and consenting and it's fun, just do it. Um, and focus on, focus on shining a light on your talents, your creativity, your charity, your kindness, your intelligence, your education, the help that you give other human beings. These are the things that are interesting. It's a lot of people still struggle with identifying as gay. It's not part of the problem. I think, part of, well, I, th I think teenagers always want to reinvent and always want to do something different. So right now it's quite different to come out early and be openly gay and for everyone to like it and for it to be cool. Um, and my goodness, do I applaud that. I think that's very healthy. The slight downside of that is also that, they also, that, that they're inventing new terminology that I think is unnecessary and confusing. That, you know, I did, a, I did an interview with someone a while ago and I wrote it up and I, I described them as gay and then they sent quite an aggressive, angry email afterwards saying, I'm actually not gay, I'm queer. And I really felt like replying, who gives a fuck, really? Does it matter? Is that what matters to you in your life? Is that the most important thing that you come across when, it, when we're talking about LGBT prejudice? There's so many things that, that people should be angry about. That is not one of them. And how did they differentiate between the two labels? Oh, I don't know. They didn't I explain didn't, that? They I didn't, didn't say ask. why. I, I wasn't interested, frankly. Because it's not offensive to get something like that wrong. If someone decides arbitrarily, frankly, that a particular semantic is right to describe something that no human being can possibly describe, because, because love and relationships, sexual attraction, are such amorphous, enigmatic things, you cannot simply give words to that. So stop trying and stop being offended when people get it a bit wrong. Um, I, I, I think it's so, it's so worthy and so self-indulgent and so lecturing at the moment that it actually stops people, it stops people talking properly and having the bravery and the confidence. I've written articles where people have attacked me and said that I'm homophobic, which is just so offensive to me. Based on what? ridiculous. Oh, I've written, I write, you know, you write, there's something quite fun about poking the bear, right? And that's not a sexual thing. Oh. <laughs> bears up my thing apparently otters I don't know there's something quite fun about a group of people who are very worthy and superior and just poking them a bit and winding them up I have to that's part of my personality I get I get a bit of joy out of that I only ever do it if I really mean mean what I say I mean I wrote something about um, it, it's uh, very misogynistic the way that gay men talk about women's bodies for instance and it is. I find it disgusting the way a lot of gay men talk about women's genitalia and the way women smell. And I wrote a piece about that and the abuse I got back. The abuse I got back for writing about enjoying having sex with a woman one time. I You're think, not gay. I think there was a Hollywood actress, I can't remember her name, who spoke out about that as well. 
Yeah, she about she, the misogyny. Yeah, she yeah. said that she believed a lot of gay men were incredibly misogynistic. And in your introductory Big Brother VT, I remember you said you weren't proud to be a gay man. You were just a gay man. People needed to get over themselves and move on with their lives. So that was three years ago. But uh, what did you mean by that? And do you still stand by it? Yeah, I, why would I not stand by that? I thought you might have changed your mind. I thought you were on, in the spotlight at the time and you wanted to say something dramatic. Uh, like I said earlier, I, I, I like saying things that challenge people, but I always mean what I say. Don't confuse that with me being a Katie Hopkins or one of those characters who just says things for effect. I don't. Why? So why but would what you... did you mean by it exactly? That I wasn't proud to be gay. Yeah. I don't, I, I, I don't, understand, why, I don't understand why people find that a controversial statement. Being gay is not an achievement. You can be proud that, you can be proud that you've come out as gay. You can be proud that you have made sacrifices to stand up for being gay. Be proud of those things, they're achievements. I mean, if I said to you, I'm really proud that I'm six foot one and a half, you'd think I was a dickhead. If I said to you, I'm really proud- But sexuality though, this is very different. No, but it's not a choice. As soon as you start saying I'm proud to be gay, you are buying into the idea that being gay is some kind of choice. Because otherwise, what are you proud of? Like. I, I'm not proud that my hair's going grey, it just is. I'm not proud that I'm gay because I am. It's not a point of pride being gay, you just are. And you should be comfortable with it and you should never ever feel as though you have to hide it. You should never have to apologise for it. You should talk about it and you should fight for other people to be able to talk about it and uh, to be comfortable with it. But to have pride if that's if that if that's your achievement in life then you need to try harder so you only associate pride with the accomplishment of certain skills i think if you should be i think you should be proud of things that um you have you have built and you've made and you've shaped and you've influenced you know when i write things and people say well um you know they try and lecture me on on my opinions on lgbt issues i think well when it comes to LGBT stuff, I have a lot to be proud of. I've helped young people to come out and I've supported them um, and still do where I can. Uh, I've helped gay people in workplaces to find agency and to uh, be more assertive. I have sacrificed my entire career to stand up for what I believe in with LGBT people. And that's what I'm proud of. And someone comes to me on Twitter and somewhere and says that they're, they're angry at me because I said they're not allowed to be proud of the fact they are something they would have been anyway. Okay, so you think just being born gay isn't enough? Being born gay is great and be open about being gay. That's something to be proud of, right? Be proud of the fact that you have realised that you're gay or queer or, you know, and you have done something brave and you have been yourself even when society doesn't necessarily want you to be. That, be proud of that. But just, isn't that what being gay encompasses? There's a difference. I think there's a difference. Look, you get, in a way it's semantics, but I think it's, I think it's, I think it's relevant. And this is what I was trying to get across, is that there's a difference between saying, I am a proud, uh, openly gay man, and saying, I'm proud of the fact I'm gay. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Would I expect my two friends from university earlier to say, they're really proud that they're straight. No, that's weird. 
being gay is a point of difference and that can be quite exciting and it can make you feel quite exotic and I but I think I think that way lies madness and really shallow vanity to to take pride in just simply the fact you're gay it's just you it's who you are and the sooner you realize that being gay is just who you are and stop trying to use it as a medal probably you'll start finding other things that are much more interesting to other people and, and much more worthy of your pride. Uh, Andy, it has been great chatting to you. Uh, plenty of food for thought. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of you on TV in, in the, for many more years to come and to the novel as well. So Andy, thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure. Mm -hmm.